You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. I'm glad you're here this morning. And honestly, I'm grateful to be here uh, this morning. Uh, a couple days ago, I wasn't too sure if that was going to happen. Uh, I came down this, this last week with uh, uh, flu-like symptoms. I never really tested positive for the flu, and yet uh, the doctor put me on Tamiflu, and, and I've been fever-free for about 72 hours, and he said if I could go that long, I could be here and speak uh, this weekend, and so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Um, but I hope you'll bear with me because uh, I plan to be out in the lobby after this message, but, but I'm not going to shake hands, okay? Because uh, there's just certain things you don't want to share, and I don't want to share if there's any germs. So maybe I'll do a fist bump or maybe safer even is an elbow bump, okay? So uh, I'm going to try to get that figured out. And by the way, if you're kind of new to Southwest and maybe you even came on Thursday night, uh, because we offer this discovery class every uh, month, once or twice a month, and we had it this past Thursday, but I was, uh, I was not able to be here Thursday night. So we put signs up all over, and I notified the people I knew for sure that were coming, uh, but we're going to reschedule that for this Thursday, and if you're interested to learn more about the church and more about what it means to have that personal relationship with Christ, then I hope you'll come this Thursday. In addition to the Bible reading plans that Andrew mentioned, uh, I wanted to encourage you. I I meant to put this in the bulletin, but I wasn't thinking real clearly at the end of the week. Um, But I wanted uh, to to mention to you the the, uh, wonderful app that you can download on your phone if you've not already done so. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it's the YouVersion app. It's a free app. And... uh, it's a, it's a great way just to read the Bible and to look up different translations of the Bible. And on that app, they also have a number of reading plans. I know my wife, uh, the reading plan she's following this year, uh, she found on this app. So if you've not checked it out, I want to encourage you to do so. So by the way, I always assume uh, when I'm up here speaking and I see people get out their phone, I'm assuming you're on the version app, okay? And that you're vigorously checking uh, scriptures. Maybe you're even making notes of something I said that is speaking to you. Um, I am assuming you're not on social media unless you're tweeting something I said, or, or I'm assuming uh, you're not checking the latest scores. And by the way, you might want to check Purdue scores every week as they keep going up in the polls. But uh, that's just, that wasn't even in my notes. It just kind of came out. But, uh, uh, but I'm hoping you're not checking scores or, heaven forbid, playing solitaire, okay, uh, while I speak. But, you know, these, these things... This thing I'm holding in my hand, I've got an iPhone, is they're amazing things. We can check the weather. Uh, We can use it for a GPS to find a new location. We can track our steps for the day, which I do. You can connect with people from all over the world. And uh, it's hard to imagine a time that we didn't have such uh, a convenient device. And yet I think back to a time 
about 26, 27 years ago that I didn't have a cell phone. And at that time, uh, our youngest daughter was one year old. And um, our oldest daughter was about three, and our youngest daughter was a little over one. And uh, we had something happen one evening that I wish I'd have had a cell phone. Uh, what happened for us was that uh, our daughter, as we were getting ready for bed, and our two girls were in bed, and Jay and I were lying down, we were getting ready to go to sleep for the night, and we heard some noises come out of her bedroom that we hadn't heard before. And at first, we just thought she was kind of cooing and maybe trying to, you know, say some words, and we thought, oh, that's cute. And then we realized, no, that's not what she's doing. And then we went in and checked on her, and she was having something that we had never experienced before. She was having a seizure. And uh, what we found out later is that she had caught some kind of bug and she had spiked a high fever. And some kids just can't handle a high fever when they're that age, between one and two. And she kicked into what's called a febrile, if I'm saying it right, seizure. Um, Later, our son, who came along a couple years later, uh, or about a year later after that, he, uh, he had one of those as well. And we were just like, oh, old hat, okay? We've been through this before. But, but the first time it happened, we had no idea what was going on. And it was such a scary, scary experience for us. We did the only thing we did knew to do. We used our landline. We called 911. The emergency vehicle came, ambulance. And, and uh, I tell you, that was one of the scariest things I'd ever been a part of, is to see my wife and our one-year-old daughter, because uh, we couldn't get her to quit being in a seizure, and see them load into the ambulance. And I had to stay behind because we had a three-year-old that was still sleeping. And and I had to arrange for a friend to come over and stay with her. So it was about an hour by the time I got somebody to come over, stay with our older daughter. I got in the car, drove about 15, 20 minutes to the hospital. And I remember that being one of the longest hours of my life. Because, because I didn't know what was going on, I thought she was dying. And I didn't know if I would ever see my one-year-old daughter again. It would have been so good to be able to check in. But I couldn't. Now, I've told this story before, but, but our daughter recovered. They, they, put a, they gave her an IV. They gave her an ice bath, and she recovered, and she's fine. She's 28 years old now. Uh, she works with the charter school system in Washington, D.C., married. Great, Okay. But that was one scary night. You think about how tough it was, I think back to that, and that's even in my own history, to not be able to communicate, to not be able to know what was going on with someone you loved and cared for very much. Now, even though that was in my history not that long ago, think back to a time when people couldn't even contact people through a landline phone. They couldn't send an email. They couldn't send snail mail or even a telegraph. And the only way you could communicate with people you cared about deeply 
was maybe through making that trip yourself or sending a courier that would send a message on your behalf. This was the case for one of the earliest Christian leaders, the Apostle Paul, who had planted and helped start churches all over the world. And and, and there was a time where he was in southern Greece in the city of Athens. And yet, about a year earlier, he had started a, a, a church up in northern Greece, in Thessalonica, a city that still exists today called Thessaloniki. And yet, because of some of the, the, the persecution and some of the, the resistance that he received from people in that city, he had to flee that city very quickly after starting the church. And so for a long time, just in his heart, there was this fear, this anxiety. How are the young Christians doing that I had helped lead to Christ? Did they survive? Are they doing okay in their faith? Or, or did they cave in to all the persecution and all the resistance and all the, the pushback in the community? Did they abandon their faith? That's the context for what we're about to read. In one of two letters that Paul wrote back to that church, and a a text that we're using for this entire message series entitled, Hopeful. So let's pick up the reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, as we see Paul share his heart with these Christians that he had been so concerned about how they were doing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, "'Finally, when we could stand it no longer.'" We decided to stay alone in Athens, and and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Do you get the spirit of what's going on here? How Paul wrote, I sent Timothy because I was fearful that you might have been discouraged and given up your faith. He sent a mission partner, an apprentice of his named Timothy, to make that 200-mile trip to north to strengthen the faith of these Jesus followers in the city of Thessalonica. Commentators note that the, the word that Paul uses in the original language that this letter was first written Uh, where that word in English that says we sent him to strengthen you, that word strengthen you, that 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 word in the original language carries this idea of making the believers firm or unchanging in belief despite any difficulty they might face. You see, Paul understood as those of us who are older than 40 or 50, and I'm one of those, that, that life is full of difficulties. And as Jesus had previously said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, 
I've overcome the world. You see, the question is not, will we have troubles? The question is, do we have a faith and do we have a hope that we can stand on in the midst of troubles? That's why I really like what the author N.T. Wright had to say about this text when he wrote, but the fact that suffering is inevitable for those who try to be loyal to Jesus was built in to the gospel from the beginning. And the versions of Christianity which managed to avoid it are thereby called into question. Do we or do we not follow a crucified Lord? Let that set in a little bit, what that quote is saying. You see, I am not and I will not be one of those preachers or teachers who say, if you decide to follow Jesus, then all your troubles will go away. I know you hear that sometimes, but I don't believe it's true. Instead, I will continue to teach that it's in a personal relationship with Christ that you and I can find the strength, the courage, and a hope that's worth standing on, which will enable each of us to endure the troubles that come our way. I don't guarantee you that this life and that this year won't bring troubles. The truth is, I can guarantee you that it will bring some troubles, some problems, and some challenges. Now, how's that for a good feeling teaching, okay? And as we keep reading in 1 Thessalonians 3, we see that Paul continues this theme of the inevitable troubles that we'll face and, and that the people there in northern Greece would face. And yet he prepares them and he prepares us so that if we can have a steady faith and an unshaken hope, even in the midst of facing troubles, if you're taking notes, that's the first blank to fill in is troubles. Now, what are some of the troubles that we all face this time of year? Well, some of us It's just the number of gray days that string together where we don't see the sunshine. You know, today on my weather app, I can't figure it out, but but there was two two different screens for Springboro when I pulled it up at home. One of them said partly cloudy and the other said partly sunny, and I just kept switching over to the partly sunny one because that's the one I wanted to believe. But sometimes we just have a string of cloudy days after cloudy days, and and sometimes we just long to see some sunshine, and that can bring troubles. Or maybe, like I faced this past week, health-related issues. I saw in the news yesterday that there were 49 states that have an epidemic of the flu. The only one that doesn't had a a surprise missile attack warning yesterday. Why, okay? So, I mean, every state has troubles. We'll have troubles. Maybe some of us, it's car troubles. Have you ever noticed that our cars always seem to start when it's 60 degrees like it was earlier last week? Isn't that hard to believe it was just 60 a few days ago? But it seems like it's when it's below zero or below zero windshield, that's when the car doesn't start. 
See, it's like troubles will come. Maybe for you, your troubles are at home with a preschooler or a preteen. Or maybe your trouble you're facing is with your bank account, that there just seems to be too much month left with too little money in the account to cover it. Or possibly you're having trouble at work, maybe with a difficult boss, a difficult colleague, or a difficult employee. I'm not sure what trouble you might be currently facing or what trouble you will possibly face as this year continues to unfold. And yet I am convinced that if you and I share a hope in Christ, that that hope will enable us to see our way through ever whatever trouble might come our way. This is why Paul continues to write uh, to these first century believers. He writes in, in verse 7, So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. One commentator described this passage. He says, Paul knows that there is yet more for the Thessalonians to face. More trials to their faith are on the way. They have met the first test. Will they meet the next ones? You see, this is a faith and hope that that perseveres in the face of trouble. That's the kind of hope that a pastor and author that I read quite often, Bob Russell, was describing in a recent article he wrote on the subject of consistent belief. And he wrote this, faithful people continue to believe the right way even though they don't understand what God is doing at the moment. How about you? Do you remain strong in your faith in the midst of trouble and suffering? Do you remain hopeful for what God will do in the future, even when you can't figure out what he might be doing in the present, or even when it seems like he's been silent in the present or in the past? Paul writes to them, and he's writing to us, letting us know that And he's letting them know that he's praying for them. And yet he hopes and prays that they will be able to come, that he will be able to come and see them soon. So they will continue to stand firm in the Lord. You see, he wants them to remain hopeful and stand firm in their shared faith and hope in Jesus. That's why he keeps writing in in verse 9. He says, how we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. I love that last phrase. And I love this idea that we need people in our lives that will help fill the gaps of our personal faith. You see, that's why we not only need Scripture, and we not only need the Holy Spirit who dwells within every Christian to strengthen us in our faith, but but we also need one another. 
so that we can continue to be a people who, our second point, are staying strong no matter what life might bring our way. Now, we understand this principle in other areas of life. And yet, unfortunately, we so often don't apply it to our spiritual life and our personal faith in Christ. Possibly in churches like Southwest, where we emphasize often the importance of having that personal uh, relationship with Christ, maybe in the emphasis of our personal relationship with Christ, maybe at times that gets communicated in such a way that it's just, hey, me and Jesus, you know, and I'm just going to be connected with Jesus throughout my day. Now, don't get me wrong, that's important to have that concept. But you see, Christians are called not just to an individual relationship with Christ, but they're also called to a community of faith. And it's in relationships with one another that we can really be strengthened in our faith and in our hope. Now, let me see if I can illustrate the importance of having individuals in our lives that can help fill the gaps of our faith by using an illustration from next door. You see, as a church that met for a number of years in the YMCA next door, uh, and as a church that now meets in the uh, next door to the YMCA, we've, we've noticed some patterns of flow uh, in the YMCA through the years. And if, if you drive by here regularly or if you are a member at the Y, you've probably noticed that, that this is that time of year, January, that sometimes it's hard to find a parking spot at the YMCA. Have you noticed that, anybody? Okay, now, why? Why is in January, why is the parking lot next door just packed? Well, it's because of all the people that made those New Year's resolutions that this is the year they're going to exercise. Now, maybe you're one of those people, so I'm not trying to discourage you. Stay with that resolution. Live that healthy life. That's awesome. But I have to share that that this is that time of year that frustrates people like my wife who are very consistent year-round in her exercise. You know, my wife's amazing, and I just... I'm just so grateful for how disciplined she is. She, she exercises, she runs, she does the treadmill, she does spinning class, uh, she does yoga at home. I mean, I, I want to grow up and be like her, okay? I mean, she's just so disciplined, and, and, and yet this is that time of year that she can get a little frustrated because of those January exercisers. It's harder for her to get into her classes. It's harder for her to find a parking space. But she knows that if she'll just hang on tight for about another few weeks, she'll be able to start finding a parking spot a lot easier. Those classes won't be so packed. Why? Because so many people don't follow through on those New Year resolutions. In fact, sociologists tell us that it takes about three weeks, 21 days, for us to even become familiar with a, a new habit. We're only two weeks into the year. For those of you who have been discouraged because you've already missed several workouts, hey, it takes three weeks just to become familiar with a new habit. And then it takes another three weeks to where you can really implement that habit 
into your life in a regular routine. That's why churches use a lot of these 40-day plan things because it takes about 40 days to really learn and implement into your life a new habit. But unfortunately, so many people give up on new disciplines and new habits far too quickly before they've even become familiar or integrated it into their life. And by the way, who are the people that usually stick with that, that New Year's resolutions to work out regularly? It's usually the people that found a workout buddy, okay? Or it's somebody that enrolled in a class that, that they know that by enrolling in that class and they've made a commitment to show up, that, that they get the strength and encouragement from others that are doing it with them. Now, we come to learn this when it comes to physical exercise, but, but for some reason, we don't implement that in our spiritual life. So for those of you who made the New Year resolution to read your Bible, maybe you picked up one of those Bible reading plans a couple weeks ago, and you're two weeks into the year and you're always already a week behind, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Keep persevering. And maybe what you need is you need somebody that will be that spiritual partner to come alongside to encourage you, that discipleship partner, that, that faith uh, uh, accountability partner that will come alongside and encourage you and help you to stick with those goals. I believe that's why as we keep reading, we see that Paul, as he, as he just mentioned that we need people in our lives to help fill in the gaps of our faith, he begins to emphasize this one another living as he goes into a prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 11, he says, may God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all the people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. You see, I'm convinced that the key of staying strong spiritually is to live out our faith in community. That's why I believe Paul embedded in this prayer for the Thessalonians a prayer that they would grow in their love for one another. That's why I'm continually convinced that one of the most important things that we do here at Southwest is not just our worship gatherings on the weekend, but our small groups that meet throughout the week so that we can learn how to not just share our faith with one another, but learn to do life with one another and really live out this calling of loving one another. Last weekend, we spent almost the entire message describing the relational environments that exist in small groups as we share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And it was encouraging to see the crowd that we had last weekend at our connection lunch as we had a number of people participating saying they wanted to learn more about small groups at Southwest. 
Now, if you came to that small group lunch and you filled out a survey and you said, hey, I want somebody to contact me, and maybe you didn't get contacted this week, uh, bear with us, okay? Not only was I sick, but my uh, administrative assistant was sick this week, and our communication, we fell behind out of our office here getting back to people, but we will... We are committed to getting back to you in the next 24 hours so that you can find a small group here at Southwest to be a part of. Maybe you didn't, weren't able to come to Connection Lunch. I want to encourage you, find in the bulletin that communication card Andrew talked about and check, hey, I want to get involved in a small group. If you're a high school student, come back tonight for the high school events. Get involved with others. Come to the Wednesday night uh, high school event so that you can learn how to be a part of a community of faith, that we can fill in the gaps of each other's faith, that we can hold each other accountable to live out the things that we talk about on the weekend. Why? Because we want everyone here at Southwest to grow and stay strong in their faith in Christ And to have a hope that they can truly hold on to. A hope that's eternal. A hope that, as we see in our last point today, is a comforting hope. A comforting hope. Now, some of you might have noticed that although we've been describing what it means to remain hopeful, that my word for the year, hope, isn't found in chapter three of First Thessalonians. Now, if you notice that, you're very observant. In fact, it's the only chapter in First Thessalonians that the word hope is not found. And yet, it's one of my favorite chapters of the letter. And yet, if we fast forward to the second letter that Paul wrote this church, that he refers back to what he had to say in the previous letter, we find that word hope shows up again. And so, to end this message on the importance of having a comforting hope to stand on, let's read what Paul would write in his second letter. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, he wrote this. With all all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. One scholar translated the phrase in verse 15 as stand firm and hold on tight. I like that. Paul's Paul's encouraging this church. He says, stand firm and hold on tight. Now, when you hear that phrase, what do you think of? I thought about that and I thought, what I thought of was when you're in an airport and you're taking one of those underground trains from one terminal to another. You know how they always come on the intercom and they say, make sure you grab onto the pole or grab onto the, to the bar ahead of, uh, above you. And I'm not a real big guy, okay? So I've learned through time that, that when that train starts up, there's quite a jolt. And that when it comes to the end of the track to that next terminal, there's another jolt. And so I've learned that, man, I grab onto that pole or I grab onto that bar above me and I stand firm. I try to get positioned and I hold on tight. 
Now, don't judge me, but I kind of look around for the people in the car that are a little bit full of themselves and think, I don't need to do that. Because I know what's going to happen. When that car starts up, they're going to rock a little bit, and you're going to see them get a little nervous. And then I watch it on the other end too. Okay, I'm sorry, I got issues, but I do that. But you see, Paul says, stand firm, hold on tight. You see, it's important for us to stand firm in our faith and to hold on tight to the teachings of Christ and the teachings we read in the Bible for our lives. That's an important secret of remaining hopeful. Now, following this important point, Paul breaks into a prayer that he wrote down for them and for us. In verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Some translations read a good hope. Comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. I like that, this idea of a, a good, wonderful hope. This coming week, we're going to be celebrating an important man in our country's history, a man that I find personal, tremendous inspiration, a man who provided a very important leadership during a difficult time in our country's history a man who helped bring hope into the lives of many people who needed an insurgence of hope. So I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr., who once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. I love that quote. And preparing for this message, and because hope is my word for this year, I just, I kept thinking about what, is, what does that mean, that we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope? What is infinite hope? It's a hope that keeps on going. It's a hope that never dies. And then I thought, what's one very important thing that we can stand firm on and hold on to tight as a church? It's a hope that we find every time we take communion together. You see, in communion, we are holding on to a Savior who provides a hope for our lives an eternal hope, a hope that's better than undying hope. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when we take communion, we're reminded that we have a hope, we have hope in a Savior who did die for us. When we take the bread, we're reminded of His body that hung on a cross and experienced the pain of it. And when we take the cup, we're reminded of the love and sacrifice he made for us by dying on the cross for us. And yet that's not the end of the story because Jesus, yes, he died and they buried his dead body in a tomb, but, but then he was resurrected. So in Christ, we have more than just an undying hope. We have a resurrected hope. Maybe some of us need hope resurrected in our lives. 
Well, here's the, here's the path to that. Stand firm and hold on to that which we believe in Jesus. There we'll find a comforting, eternal hope. That was a hope that I really needed to cling to this week. This Friday, I attended, I was just getting over flu symptoms and I went, I didn't talk to anyone there because I didn't want to give it to anybody, but I wanted to show respect and I went to a funeral of an old good friend. And he's just a little bit older than me and he died very suddenly. And I'm still getting, trying to get my mind wrapped around the thought that I'm never going to see my friend in this earth again. But you know, he was a Christian. And what just kept going through my mind and gave me hope in the midst of a really sad, difficult time is that in this life, our life is finite. And our problems and troubles are finite. But in Christ, we have an infinite hope. We have a hope that, that the, this life is not the end all. This life and when we die is not the end of the story. Because we stand firm and put our hope in Jesus, we can have hope eternal, a comforting hope. I hope you have that hope in your life. Because there's times that you go to a funeral that you think, that's the only thing I can cling on to right now. I hope you have that hope. As we take communion, let's stand firm and cling to that which we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for us so that we could be forgiven and so we could have hope eternal. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.